where politics has infiltrated almost seemingly every aspect of our lives, there's a war raging on that's not getting as much attention as it probably should. The nerd pop culture war. On one side of this conflagration are those like you and me, those who embrace the unique traditions of geekery with open arms and welcome to all, while on the other side are those who would seek to destroy it for political gain and virtue signaling. In today's episode, we ask the question, among others, in the face of this important battle, why don't more nerds, especially conservatives, and even more specifically, journalists, not actively engage for our shared pop and geek culture? To discuss this topic, I have with us the wonderful Samuel Mangold Lennett, a staff editor and culture writer for The Federalist. Samuel has written extensively on the growing aggressive moves by giant companies like Disney to subvert their own cultural legacies for political malcontents, turning their customers from fans and now into cash cows and pretty much, unfortunately, destroy everything that made us like their products in the first place. I'm sure you are all familiar with what I mean. Sable's writings have been featured in The Daily Wire, Town Hall, The American Spectator, and more. He's also a 2022 Claremont Institute Publius Fellow, and you can find him on Twitter at Mangold underscore Lennett. Okay, so uh, tell the folks a little bit about your background. Uh, how did you get into... Uh, journalism. What What is your, your cultural background that makes you interested in some of these topics you like to write about? Yeah. So um, from Cincinnati, Ohio, born and raised. Um, like many of your listeners, um, politically and culturally conservative or center right, um, I have always been by disposition, um, increasingly so just because of the, of the changing times. Um, I've always been interested in, you know, film and culture, um, have tried to get more into it over the years, um, the culture in general, um, film and, uh, you know, television have always been kind of just my preference for culture. Um, uh, it's kind of harder nowadays to get into, you know, the more, um, lack of a better term, like higher arts, you know, those seem to be more, have a higher bar for entry for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, you know, film and television are just the most accessible forms of entertainment and cultural expression for most people. Um, whether or not that's going to the movies or just watching television or, you know, streaming nowadays. Um, and there's a, a bunch of great stories, virtually infinite stories you can find through these mediums. Um, and that's kind of where I find, um, the most beauty in cultural expression is storytelling. Um, sure there is, you know, infinite beauty and infinite wisdom you can get out of painting and, uh, aesthetics in general, um, in which I'm trying to get better at discerning messages from and trying to develop a greater appreciation for. Um, but my heart is still a storytelling. Um, I just think humans are, you know, storytellers by, by nature. Uh, and there is, you know, ample historic evidence for that. Um, I mean, even our earliest art forms, but if it's, you know, cave paintings, they're telling the story. Um, so yeah. Okay, cool. 
So did you have any favorite franchises or things you were into? Did you, did you play a lot of video games or were you really into Star Wars or something? Well, uh, I used to like franchises. Um, I used to, so, I mean, I'm sure everyone had a, um, you know, a soft spot for like Star Wars growing up. Um, unfortunately, nowadays, I've kind of soured on the uh, legacy franchises, if you will. Um, yeah. It's just, it's hard to maintain that affinity for them when they become um so co-opted it's no longer about the storytelling or about the and it's okay to have a, a larger message in your story um and i don't have any fault with having a you know a message about morality or a message about some greater expression or seeking a higher truth my message my issue is with shoehorning some kind of cynical political message some kind of identitarian message that is counter truth um, and doing it over and over and over again for just profit and running the artistic integrity of the story into the ground. Uh, so I, I used to have a really big soft spot for something like Star Wars. Uh, Indiana Jones uh, used to be a really big thing in my family. Yeah. Um, of course, I only acknowledge three Indiana Jones movies. Um, I refuse to acknowledge <laughs> the fourth. And as far as I'm concerned, there will not be a fit. Um, yeah, how about you? Uh, I, I'm pretty similar. We're not too far apart in uh, age or background there. I, I love all this kind of stuff. I kind of always have. It used to be like, you know, these things are special because you could go to really anywhere and they usually could find someone that would be willing to talk to you. So you love Indiana Jones. It's pretty easy to find someone else that loves Indiana Jones. And you, and you might meet a stranger, might not have a lot in common. But if your favorite thing comes up, whether it's like Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, whatever. You know, that that's a, a common culture point. And it feels like lately we have uh lost some of that. It, well, you make uh you've written some on the stuff going on with Disney in particular. Uh most recently they had the movie Ant Man Quantumania. Uh yeah. you you had wrote this article, the headline on the Federalist reads Hollywood studios like Marvel use themes of revolution to radicalize viewers with the the subheadline Popular culture is an apparatus used by corporate studios to launder leftist place to the mainstream. Everything we consume is a psyop. Uh, that that is an interesting take. So, what do you mean when they when they take a product like the new Ant Man movie or Star Wars and they they un- undermine it and they're trying to achieve some other goal? What are you? What is your um, belief there, and why do you think it's happening? Yeah. So, um, everything has a message, right? Everything. Every form of entertainment we consume is trying to impart some kind of messaging on us. Uh, whether it's sports, uh, the message is just, you know, teamwork is good or, you know, football is fun. That's the message. It can be as simple as that. Or if it's, you know, a, war, a World War II movie, it's that the Nazis are bad and the Allied forces are good. It can be something as, you know, simple as that, or it can be more nuanced about, you know, the, the, the strength of the human spirit or the horrors of war. Um, in the case of Disney, uh, more specifically Disney Marvel, um, and Disney isn't even hiding the ball on this. They're very, very explicit. Um, this past summer, I believe, if I recall correctly, my timeline's a little blurry nowadays because of just, oh, Disney is entirely matched off and they're very open about these things now. Yeah. Um, they talked about having a not so secret gay agenda. They've talked about explicitly putting leftist things in their media. Um, so Disney is very explicitly talking about indoctrinating people with their content. They're talking about putting, you know, 
and it's it's perfectly fine to have you know a char- a gay character in content. That's been a thing for decades. I don't think anybody legitimately really has any issue with gay characters in television or film, so long as it's done organically, it's well written, and it makes sense in the context of the film or the show. Yeah, I agree. The, the issue is making the the character's sexuality or identity the entire focus of the content without any greater contextualization or frame of reference and reworking the entire medium around that point. Uh, they, they make that so ham-fisted. Well, I mean, that's, that's getting a bit of my, ahead of myself there. They, they're not even trying to really launder these points. I mean, in some ways, they are trying to launder them in. In some ways, they're just beating you to death with them. Um, so, so with Ant-Man, um, it's a bit of both. Um, it's very explicitly talking about revolution um because there's this you know sorry this is spoilers i don't know if we do that here um, oh it's okay sweet um so king the conqueror which is you know debut in quantum media um kind of like a, a, B, a b-list marvel villain but she's the big bad for phase five um he's set up as this um you know tyrant ruler uh, and in the quantum realm, there's this ragtag group of displaced intersectional, uh, gorillas, well, not gorillas as in like the age gorillas as in the gorilla warfare, um, who try to overthrow him. And the whole point of their existence is revolution without any greater context, aside from overthrowing this entity who's a ruler. Um, and that's, that's really it. There's no... Why are you overthrowing this ruler? Well, he's a ruler, so we have to overthrow him. What did he do? He's bad. Why is he bad? He is. Um, so they're very explicitly just talking about revolution, the sake of revolution's sake, without any like greater nuance there. Because as as I mentioned in the piece, there are such things as you know justified revolution, um, you know the American Revolution, or um, you know, World War II, resisting uh, Nazis, like, a properly ordered revolution or resistance is perfectly justifiable. But simply having perpetual themes of revolution is just for the sake of destruction. There is no greater purpose other than just chaos in that sense. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I largely agree. I think the themes have become very hollow if you look at even like where star wars came from george lucas he clearly had lots of um inspiration both like philosophically but film wise i mean akira kurosawa's work is a huge influence on the star wars and so it has that kind of like that that deep well of uh philosophy and film and cultural history behind it and it seems like what with the stuff we're getting now it's very hollow like you're right the new ant-man movie a huge theme of it is about socialism and how come they're never doing enough even though ant-man like saved the whole world but sure. i guess that doesn't count for some reason uh it, it just feels like once upon a time you know you could see this um i, I know you've written some about this with the new proud family show which came out this year which that was they came out with uh oh just all kinds of crazy nonsense including about um uh, reparations and abraham lincoln not freeing the slaves and i mean you name it they did it 
and I look at, I look, take that and I look at where the property originally came from in the 2000s. You would have episodes talking about, you know, Martin Luther King and why the value of uh, working together, equality, treating people fairly. It was a fairly deep, it was a fairly deep message. There was something they're really drawing from that had real meaning. And the stuff we get today, it's just, besides being you know, like political and insulting, it's very shallow. It's very kind of uh, it's tokenizing. It's it's pointless. It serves no. It doesn't respect the audience at all. It's just here's something people are talking about online. Here's a cartoon of it. Yeah, and part of the thing is there are just patterns there at this point. There, it's funny because Disney and these companies now and then still try to pretend this is not happening. Like today, they just announced uh, a new Peter Pan live action project. Of course, Tinkerbell now is uh, POC. Which by if it, by itself that's not a problem. Uh, they also have like a new in the new Star Wars show. They have Benny, who is a I guess a trans character of some kind. And it's like you're right by these things by themselves. If they are handled well, that's not really too much of an issue. I may disagree, but as long as they're written well, you know, you're like okay, this is this author's this creator's opinion. This is the message they're trying to tell. But there's something authentic here. Why well, I may disagree, at least it's something to latch onto. With these things, there is this pattern where like. It's really impossible not to notice. And even the, but even though you can see it over and over again, you know, it's like the new Little Mermaid movie. It's the, there's still people out there who want to pretend this is not happening. And surprisingly, sometimes they are people who are uh, conservatives working in the media. Yeah. Um, I think there's also, um, and I know it's kind of like a bit of a spicy issue uh, with like the, the race swapping stuff. Um, it's always one way also um it's always you know these european um you know fairy tale uh stories it's always a historically you know white character is being race swapped into a poc character and and personally i don't really have much interest in you know what disney is doing with their live action remakes at this point i just am simply so burned out on disney and i don't really care what they do i just want the company to go bankrupt Oh, and the um, live action movies like two oh one, they're all terrible. Right, yeah, exactly. It's 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 just an exercise in pure cynicism at this point. They have there's no if you are you're the biggest media conglomerate in the world history, and all you can do is remake your movies from decades ago, there's there's gotta be some talent in there that can create a create a new IP that is better than just a live action remake of what you did thirty years ago. It's ridiculous. So when you started writing about the stuff, when you started engaging, what was kind of the response you got from not just your audience, especially the audience, but what about like other people that you knew working in media, well, your, your peers, our peers? Uh, do you feel like people who are interested in media, n not just like the audience, just normal conservatives, but people who are writers, do you think there's enough interest there? Or if not, why don't we see more people engaging? Because this is something that I've noticed that while many, well, I think there's a huge audience for talking about um, pop culture and what's happening with nerdery and Disney, etc. It feels like there isn't very that many people, at least the ones in charge in media who seem to share that interest. Um. I mean, there certainly is an interesting culture. Uh, just people don't really know how to, I think, really engage with it. Or they're just, you know, a lot of people in media are more concerned with, you know, the political going, going ons, goings on, right. whatever the plural of that is. 
Um, and that's justifiable that affects, you know, our lives much more immediately. Um, I think there's also kind of a reluctance to talk about culture because they don't want to come across as, you know, dorky, which I, I don't really care about. I think it's fun. Um, <laughs> I have the same problem. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's more, it's more interesting this way. Um, I don't know. I think there's also the fact that people don't really know who to talk to about it. Um, people don't really know how to engage with other people about culture. And it's also just tiresome. You know, it's like you mentioned earlier, it's hard to find people to talk about these things nowadays where previously you could talk to really anybody about Star Trek. But now when you talk about Star Trek, the thing you want to talk about is being annoyed that Stacey Abrams is in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. It is. And it's, yeah, there's this, uh, there's now a political divide that wasn't there. There's also like, an interest divide and these things are so they have been so fraughtly put with all these traps to try to catch you on race or gender or sex or having the wrong political view or whatever silly thing they've now injected into the latest uh production from one of these media conglomerates that's like is it worth covering this is it worth talking about this and somehow i i trip or someone accuses me of being a bad person for not supporting x y and z it's like at the end of the day it's still just like a, a disney thing it's like my career my my friendships aren't enough you know if i'm with my sister who's a, a very ardent leftist i almost never talk about cultural stuff with her so i'm a little guilty of this too because it's like i know this is never good we're never going to agree it's not going to lead to anything but i think on the the flip side i feel like because people who, you know, people who are politically served, I think in their own personalized, maybe more cultural than serves. They don't like to step on toes. I feel like sometimes this special part of life, this important realm has kind of been given up to people, which is one of the things, by the way, I'm glad you're here and I like your writing because it makes me happy to see intelligent conservatives writing about these issues and 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 very well um, vocalizing, communicating why they're important, what are the problems going on and what audiences should hope for for change kind of building off of that something that really deeply bothers me to my core is that what can we talk about with each other you mentioned that you can't talk about culture with your leftist sister you certainly can't talk about politics with her no so so what is there for us to engage on where is the middle ground it's becoming increasingly impossible to bridge any gap with anyone on really anything and it's, I think that's part of the reason why, you know, things like, you know, movies like Top Gun Maverick did so phenomenally well. It's because it wasn't overtly political, despite having a, you know, arguably nationalist message. It wasn't explicitly political. It was just people doing cool things. Um, and I think moving forward, more people, there's just such a thirst for not value neutral content but ideologically neutral content that is just endearing um i don't really know what that would look like but something that isn't just antagonistic to anyone no and that's a great point people make this mistake all the time when when, especially if they're one of these culture warriors on the left who do who do love to subvert all these fandoms uh they say, oh, you just want this to be sanitized. You don't want there to be any political message. You don't want to be there engaging. That isn't what I think people are asking for. People love, you know, House of the Dragon, which was a huge hit for HBO last year. 
people even love, you know, the new Hogwarts legacy and it has some uh, trans characters, et cetera, et cetera. What people don't want to be is insulted. They don't want to be talked down right. to. If, if it is political well, and it has a specific message, okay, we'll engage with whatever it is. We may agree, disagree, but there you go. Art art often is made by very by people who are very interesting and have very different opinions, and that's fine. I don't think anyone really has a problem with that. I think what people have a problem with is is being insulted and controlled. And when you see the you know you see the new uh, House of the Dragon episode, and there might be something political, and you say, actually, I didn't like that, and they're like, oh, you terrible person, you should be canceled, you should lose your job, your your church should excommunicate you. You should just be banned from society, all because you didn't like, you know, the the newest episode of the HBO Dragon Show. Right. And, and, you know, to that point, it's what really is even the subversion, the subversive message anymore? Every single point has already been subverted. That's, you know, back in the day, like David Bowie was subversive because there were actually standards to be subverted. Um, I, I think it was. I forget exactly when the Grammys were, but a couple of weeks ago when the Grammys were on, you know, there was Sam Smith doing the whole, you know, performative Satanism thing. That's not subversive anymore. There is no anything left to subvert. All of like the edgy, the performative edginess, that's just normal nowadays. It's, it's, it's incredibly irritating how like even just being a outright, you know, communist on, on the, on Maine is just normal. Everything has just been normalized entirely. It's, it's it's mind-boggling. Yeah, and it seems like the media and many people still haven't learned this lesson that, you know, subversion is okay, I guess, on occasion. The problem with subversion is once you have undermined your thing, it's hard to, re- to get back that, le- that, um, that confidence and le- legitimacy. It's like once you subverted Star Wars, it's, it's hard for that thing to ever go back to being just normal Star Wars again. And right. even when they do make good attempts at that, um, like we could see with Andor, you know, the honest reception really wasn't all that great because people do not want to give Disney for the Star Wars products the time of day. Exactly. Why do you think that is? And is there anything really that these companies could do to reverse that trend? Um, I mean, personally, I can't speak to really other people's experiences, um, although I think this might be a, a general consensus type thing. I just think Disney squandered all their goodwill. Um, I saw that on the end or did very, you know, had positive reviews from, you know, both critical and, um, uh, I hate to use the Rotten Tomatoes verbiage, I'm going to try not to. Uh, it had good critical reception and good, you know, real human being reception. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't watch it and I'm not going to watch it. Uh, I think the new Mandalorian season comes out tomorrow or next week or sometime soon. I'm just not going to watch it. Disney has squandered so much of their goodwill uh, with me and so many other fans that they don't get another chance. Um, and I think that in order to reestablish, you know, a baseline normal, they have to, fi- I don't, personally, I don't know if they can reestablish that, hey, we're the, we weaponized our, we we're the biggest media conglomerate in world history and we weaponized ourselves against your values and the values that your family holds. Sorry, I, I don't know if they can, you know, reestablish that. It's dude, it's such a powerful conglomerate to turn itself against you. How do you regain some form of non-skepticism towards them? Um, I don't know if you can. And to be fair, it's 
you can't consume entertainment without patronizing Disney in some way. Like if you stream, um, you know, you, you, ha- you probably use Hulu. Uh, if you go to the movies, Disney owns so many small studios or has stakes in so many small studios or sound studios or production companies, you're going to be giving them money in some capacity. It's basically impossible not to patronize them, but you don't have to be happy about it and you don't have to knowingly endorse their flagship companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure no, it's kind of word vomiting. No, no, that's fine. I think if they are, aren't willing to engage with you positively and create content in good spirit, I don't think you have to, I mean, there's no rule that says you have to watch Star Wars. There's no rule that right. says you have to watch the next entry in the MCU. <laughs> like they have to earn right, your yeah. vote. You don't, you, it's not the other way around. I mean, that exactly. might be, I'm hoping, well, I'm now. hoping, I'm hoping these companies learn that, but I look at what, even what's happening with Disney in Florida, I'm just like, yeah. I, I don't know how much more punishment you need. Uh, Mickey here for you to to learn this lesson, but right. Well, like, speak like the MCU and agreed to the MCU for some reason more and more explicitly ideological than uh, Star Wars is specifically with Disney. Um, but like, think of She Hulk, like that was militantly ideological. Um, it's just it's wild how aggressively they overplay their hand, and um. It's NBC who owns Star Trek, correct? Uh, CBS. Yeah, CBS, CBS. Viacom. Right, Viacom. Um, I don't know. It's I think until these companies really start feeling the pain in some existential way, which Disney arguably has because they fired Bob Shabek and brought back Bob Iger, um, until they really start existentially feeling the pain, I don't think there's going to be a return to the baseline. So what do you think people can do. I think one of the things that we've seen in the last year or two, like the Daily Wire, and you've earned some for them, where they, they've now been trying to create their own entertainment uh, to mixed results. Some of it, some it's good, some it's not. Do you think that's really a viable option? I, I, I've, I've now, I've seen more people who are like, okay, we did try this. Is this something that will actually work? Um, honestly, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, and like you said, it's it's two mixed results. Um, I think some of their content's pretty decent. Uh, I think some of it is, you know, kind of a kind of a miss. Uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I think they're the only ones with the major financial backing and the ability to attract the talent to accomplish it right now. Uh, but I think the the people who the eyeballs are going to things like this. They're going to podcasts. They're going to uh, Twitch streamers. Uh, I don't think the the market interest is necessarily in you know multi camera sitcoms anymore. I don't think it's necessarily necessarily in uh, Rick and Morty style animated cartoons nowadays. I, I think it's more so in alternative media, at least for you know right of center audiences uh, i think it's more so in alternative approaches um that said i think there's always going to be a, a, a audience and market for cinema and television um but i don't know if pumping hundreds of millions of dollars to create you know a right-wing movie studio is necessarily the most strategic approach at this time um i could be entirely wrong 
Um, and hopefully someone creates billions of dollars in capital doing so. Um, but I'm not, I, I would love to see, you know, a, a return to like the Charlton Heston, uh, 10 commandments era. Uh, I'd love to see, um, a John Millis style of director come around. Uh, but I, I don't know who that talent is. Uh, I don't know if there's an appetite for that kind of cinema anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd like to think there is, cause I love, you know, that's my favorite type of content to consume. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. No, it, the few times I've had the chance to talk to someone that's part of the funding class, the general message is given is that for these cultural products, these dollars that uh, these these billionaires and millionaires are willing to give, that is also competing with all the political fundraising, with all right. the the media fundraising. It's competing with everything else. And people, unlike the people who are on the left, who feel like they have enough clout that no matter what they invest, they can somehow work it to make money. People on the right who are willing to fund these things, they want to see, uh, they do want to see a, like a positive payday at the end of the day. Right. So they're not just willing to throw away their money. The, the problem with that is that it's a little hard to make um, these cultural products happen. We are not willing to unfortunately take a big hit. Um, Which, I don't know what the solution there is. That's, that seems to be I, I the one there's... of the dynamics at play. I, th- I think it's a dynamic issue. Uh, it's it's certainly an ideological issue. Uh, like the left is the left is happy with anything that kind of tangentially gets into their goal ideologically at the end of the day. Even if they take a financial hit, they're fine with that. Uh, the right wants it's not it's you know to to their credit, like I, I did it. Like the right wants to see a return on investment, whether it's jobs traded, policy made, or a tangible hits regards to art um i I get it like you you want to see something happen with the money you spend um and the right is also far more ideologically diverse than the left is the left moves as a monolith the right is there's you know there's libertarians there's natcons there's neocons there's far more diversity ideologically on the right um so there's got to be much many more chefs in the kitchen who want to see many more much more you know what what does a right wing movie look like? What is versus what is a leftist? Movie? There's going to be a lot more, uh, uh, much more dissent, I think, in a right wing movie studio than a left wing movie studio, which is just a movie studio. So, yeah, and it, it is hard to organize around political principle for an entertainment company, and for the most part, the left doesn't have to say, "Oh, we're going to make a le- we're going to make a left wing, we're going to make a, a progressive." Uh, movie company they just say we're going to make a movie company and they take it for uh, as default that's going to be fairly progressive whereas on the right you know we see things it's like oh the Christian right wants to do it so then we'll see like five right. God's Not Dead movies and, right. uh, and then maybe there will be like they there was Terror on the Prairie or they have that school shooter one um, it be, I know people are very hard on Daily Wire for some of those things, but I'm like, they're like one of the few people are actually trying. I mean, part of the problem right. is because so much of the right is also very libertarian or classic liberal, so they actually agree with a lot of what the left is doing anyways. I don't know. It's it's just a hard group to corral, usually. You know, it's like herding cats. Uh, and that's no, for, for sure. just like things we almost all agree with, let alone something like in a cultural issue where we haven't really much discussed it or even talked about anything close to coming to what do we want to do here? What's our goals? Right. And I think if, you know, you mentioned the donor class, I think if, because the Daily Wire is a for-profit company, uh, I think if they don't have to worry about, you know, the input from 
donors. They have that for-profit mechanism that can push them to just invest in themselves and invest in their different apparatuses uh, versus, you know, most of the other rights, various arms are nonprofit, um, which I, I don't really know enough about the various structures to have much of an educated dance on that. But I, I think the, the for-profit system probably is how you need to craft a studio. So, yeah, Not a lot of think takes making movies. No. Well, not yet. There could be one of these days. Um, I don't know. Coming soon from Cato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That might be fun. Are they, okay, so that's kind of a lot on the, the negatives. What are some positive changes you are seeing? Because right? there have been positive changes in the last few years, you know, movements, whether it's small things like, and we've covered this a lot on the show, you know, the independent self-funded comics or small crowdfunding projects and games of TV. There are positive things happening. What are the positive things you're noticing and why do you think they are happening or working now and they didn't really before? Uh, positive things. I think, um, I'm noticing a lot of like positive growth in comedy, I think. Um, and not necessarily just like stand up stuff. Um, like right now, the uh, satire, I think, is this, uh, really thriving online. Um, and you know, the Babylon Bees in, in their stride, but also just, uh, posters online. Uh, people who create these massive accounts that are just anonymous um, gags, essentially. Um, I forget the name of it, but there was this, this person, obviously it's anonymous, I don't know who did it, but it was meant to be like the, this fat, positive um, woman doctor who's like being morbidly obese is healthy, it's positive. Um, there's people who, it's all meant to bait people into, you know, believing things and make them angry, like Nick Adams, for instance. Um, it's a great, uh, it's, it isn't necessarily constructive culture, but it's, it's funny. Um, doesn't really add anything to the grand scheme of Western civilization, but it's, it's engaging and it gives people something to do while they're bored at work. Um, so I think that's a positive It's it breaks, it breaks the, you know, the mundane up, I guess people a good, a good chuckle. Um, and I think that's entirely achieved just through social media, um, achieved through this weird sense of like post irony rat where everything is just cloaked in seven different layers of irony, then sincerity, then post irony, then meta irony. It's kind of bizarre. Um, but it's not kind of bizarre. It's extremely bizarre. Um, I think a lot of good things are going on with independent music right now. Um, a lot of, Specifically in the punk scene, I think a lot of independent artists are able to hit their stride uh, without relying on the corporate studio system, which is kind of also fading away solely because of the internet. Um, you know, granted, it's it's adapting, um, and it's been adapting ever since the internet has really you know become the internet. Um, but if you're an artist with an independent with a unique voice, you don't necessarily need to rely on corporate mega structures, you can make it on your own, um, solely because of internet ad revenue and internet subscription services. Um, so yeah, I think those are some pretty, pretty large positives right now. It, yeah. Independent media is amazing. The growth of independent media, not just like the big ones like Joe Rogan, but like how many people are making a living 
using Patreon or Subscribestar, how many people have, you know, maybe they don't have a big following on Twitter, but they do on locals. Just the number of people now who rely on independent sources of revenue who make content for a, a smaller, more niche audience and that that's become viable is an amazing thing. It is, a, it is a huge improvement. It's not like something that really scales well for like the general population, but it is a big improvement. I think the other positive thing I think we've seen has a lot to do with like Twitter, you know, just like that this one crazy billionaire guy <laughs> bought it and then so much got upended that came along with it. There, right. It's just like, I guess if you are conservative, you are, I wouldn't say a nihilist, but you're heavily skeptical. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they are not usually, uh, they're not usually silver line on the clouds kind of people. But there, you know, sometimes I think people, even if they're very much on the left, in their own personal lives, they believe in things like, right? You know, how many people have you heard that they were leftists and then they got through cancel culture and all of a sudden, oh, actually now I'm against this too. And I think that benefits conservatives. I think at the end of the day, and maybe that's because of my own, my own political beliefs, that reality tends to go that way. But I don't know. It's uh, even with all the changes, it's still a, uh, it's still a tough slog. Yeah, it's definitely an uphill battle, but you know, that's life. Life is just one giant uphill battle until, I think it's told when you said it's one giant, one defeat until the final victory. So there's a reason to be optimistic, I think. Yeah. How do you think, how do you think um, uh, the AI programs are coming out? Uh, like uh, GPT <laughs> programs, yeah. et cetera. How uh, do you think that affects all this? Uh, there's, well, like you said, conservatives tend to be very skeptical. Um I'm very, very leery of uh, how AI can replace uh, basic human function, um, especially with education. I'm, you know, Google basically upended the entire research capacity of higher education. Um, uh-huh. You know, there, there's stories about medical practitioners relying entirely on search engines to diagnose people, uh, which... We don't know exactly how that has affected. We know it's affected treatment very negatively, but we don't have an exact number on how many people that's caused to die because of that, because their doctors don't really know how to diagnose them anymore. Um, I don't see AI helping that problem at all. Um, I mean, potentially down the road, it could theoretically replace the need for a physician or something like that. Um, but in the in the interim, I don't see it helping human education. I don't. I mean, in the short term, I see it being a great boon to like grade inflation, where people can just you know for the calculus homework, just type in the problem and get get the result. Uh, I could help with you know writing sonnets in class, where you just type in write me a sonnet about X Y Z. Um, but in in the in the medium term. I think it's going to cause a lot of pain where people just become incompetent because they became reliant on this technology. Um, and I think it's going to replace, like, like there's this talk about, you know, AI, um, artificial intelligence in, in use for, in uh, lieu of truck drivers. Um, you know, they said the same thing about ATMs replacing bank tellers and that never came to fruition. Whether or not that happens with truck drivers, I don't know. Um, I'm just very, very skeptical. I am not optimistic about, I'm a bit of a Luddite to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. 
so I don't really like the fact that this has is such a powerful technology that can it's such powerful technology with such great burning capacity that it can you know basically has the intelligence of a 75 year old man already um that freaks me out a lot um i hate the ai art stuff um because i don't consider it art i consider it um you know yeah it's, it's pretty to look at but it's not i, I think that something you, like the human soul is required for art uh, i believe that art is divinely inspired um whether it's music cinema um poetry prose whatever it is it needs the divine spark that is within the human soul to make and artificial intelligence is artificial um therefore it is not art so that's that's my two cents uh what are your thoughts my thoughts is i wonder how it's going to affect like the people who make culture who work on it so content creation because yeah. it it streamlines so much of it but it's not just streamlining it i'm seeing a lot of this especially you know um, in the video game journalism, so the, so the gamer news websites, they are having a lot of people who are basically just being replaced by chat GPT. Right. Exactly, and, yeah. and, and it's like the, these roles are so slimmed because of how these sites treat their audience. YouTubers and you know independent creators, those are kind of taking over who people look to as authoritative to talk about things like video games. And it's just like, I feel like this will be like the final thing that does them in. This is something I know you've written some and others of the Federalists is like, these programs come with these huge biases that I, I don't think most of us really understand that have been coded inside these programs. And that definitely is going to have some kind of impact, but I, I'm not totally sure. You know, the, the, these AI is moving towards general AI more and more. I, they're going to have huge changes in society and we've never done something like this before. So it's hard to like look back and see like a historical precedent. At least that's how I see it. Right. It's, it's certainly, you know, un, unbroken ground before, or it's never been, like you said, it's never been done before. Um, what you mentioned with, um, you know, the integrated ideology within the AI, um, we know that uh, AI that is within China, um, it's programmed so that it always has a deference to the priorities of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, so we know for a fact that it can be programmed to defer to certain authorities. Um, and there's been a ton of reporting right now that the AI, uh, Chad GPT in particular, is deferring to uh, woke, if you will, priorities. Um, so kind of like, uh, to bring it back to the, the Ant-Man stuff, it, it's kind of just another tool for wandering leftist indoctrination at this point. It's Even if it does have the capacity for great learning and if it does have the capacity just on its face as a technological boon it's going it's being improperly used right now it's being used to ideologically indoctrinate it, if it isn't explicitly being used to ideologically indoctrinate with things we're seeing with lgbtq and uh kids and all the things that's gone on there that came on so subtly and once it came in once it happened it was like this flood that just sweeped swept through everything and so right. conservatives and Christians, et cetera, they were on the back foot trying to push back against it. And even though they have made significant gains, it's still pretty much if you work in media and you espouse the wrong thing or you say the wrong thing on YouTube, I mean, that's it. You're done for. That, that's your entire income is gone, especially, especially yeah. if you're on YouTube. That's, that's ad revenue. That's 
just unpersoned. Oh well. Um, what are what are some pods going on that you're are you engaging in anything you really enjoy at the moment? Are you watching any uh, are you reading books or watching movies or, or listening to something? What are the media that you're into right now, Samuel? Yeah. Um so I'm actually uh I don't know if I'm in the middle of because I'm it's, it's over a thousand episodes. Um I started one piece a bit ago. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh so that's a that's a long haul. Um I'm on like uh the Sky Island arc. Um so I think that's like episode one fifty some odd out of ten thousand. Um so I still got a while to a lot of go on that. Um I'm reading the uh I got it right here, the personal recollections of Joan of Arc, uh by Mark Twain. Um it's not really one of his more it's it's one of his more sincere works, not really satirical and I mean, there is, you know, obviously the, the, the Twain sense of humor and just that's just in everything he does. Uh, but it's one of his more heartfelt and sincere works. Um, Twain's probably my favorite author. So uh, I hadn't read it since college. So I wanted to revisit it. How about you? What are you, what are you up to these days? Mark Twain. I, you know, if there was a person I wish was alive again and with us today, it'd be Mark Twain. He would, he would be fascinating to read his commentary about everything that goes on these days. Oh, yeah, um, 100%. One Piece is excellent. I love One Piece. I, I like anime in general. The, if anybody's one of those weird things where, like, the actual number of people who watch it is really, really huge, but the actual number of people who write about it is very low. Yeah. I remember one interview I did for uh, a libertarian news outfit, and they were joking how they, they, didn't, they didn't want anime coverage. I didn't even bring it up, but they said they didn't want anime coverage at their news site. And I, I think about that, I was like, I guess I can kind of get it because you're like trying to appear respectable. But if we're talking about just the sheer amount of people that might be interested in this topic, right. there's quite a few of them. I, I don't know. I don't know why that is. Why it, It's not just conservative media. It's like all media has this issue. But like, I what am I into? Uh, I really like uh, Hogwarts Legacy. I just finished that. Been going through the Harry Potter stuff and kind of going through that again. J.K. Rowling, you know, this is one thing that probably fits in is one thing the right has is that when the when the progs they go too far and they discount something, they then are giving like free media to the right. <laughs> right like that's yeah. what happened to J.K. Rowling. It was like only till a hot second ago, there would be some crazy news cycle, some some terrible thing would happen in the world. J.K. Rowling would come out and say Harry Potter wouldn't do that, or you know she read something, so all of a sudden Dumbledore is is gay, Hermione is black, <laughs> just all kinds of funny stuff. Hey, she was. She loved him. Harry Potter was great. You know, if you remember 2016, much of the news coverage, especially right there um, after the election, was like all in terms of Harry Potter. Like if Trump and those who support him were at Death Eaters at Voldemort and all the good people, they were like Harry Potter, Ron and Hermione. And now that her, uh, J.K. Rowling has been unpersoned, uh, by the way, they haven't they haven't actually done anything to reduce her uh, bank account, but she's been unpersoned yeah. at least socially. Um, now, anything. I know. And now they're like saying, oh, that turf, oh, that conservative J.K. Rowling. And I and if I chuckle because I know that's not true. But say it was like, well, if someone has to have her, I mean, we'll we'll take her. Right. It's kind of it's kind of interesting because, you know, she like you said, she's she such a huge presence on the left and arguably still is. It's just it's crazy how the overture window, it just moves so rapidly for them. It's like that meme of the of like the leftist pushing someone onto the right because they're not sufficiently 
crazy enough. It's beyond bizarre. And maybe that's an important lesson that, that conservatives should take away is there is a great value into being the sane and rational one. Like like people when they when they have their come to Jesus moment or they they feel like okay things have gone too far, we're the, the people who are being rational and sane, and if they are the conservatives, they're like the safe harbor. That's like where people will go back to. Um, I think that is tremendously in their advantage, and it's probably why I would tell people who are on the right to not feel like they should be pushing purity tests or demanding that people do this or that, which we sometimes see. But you know, I could be wrong. That's just, that's just my personal theory on it. I think that's valid. I mean, personally, I'm not big on, you know, gatekeeping in general. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, some standards are necessary just to keep, you know, sanity within the cause. Um, but you're right. The more people see that, you know, the left and the, the is truly becoming just a far left unhinged cause, they're going, I think they're going to want some semblance of normalcy, some semblance of not wanting perpetual revolution. They're going to want stability in their life. So they'll, they'll seek an alternative or they'll be eaten alive. So. So what, how do you think things are going to shake out in the next few years? Are there, are there positive things at play? Do you think we'll see some positive changes? Are we just going to see a continuum of the negative? What, what is using your powers of uh, foresight that you have, Samuel, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? Give us your, your best educated guess. Um, well, I tend to be the most pessimistic person in the room, um, but I'll try and be optimistic for the sake of being optimistic. Um, I think people are going to get really fed up. Uh, I mean, politi- politically speaking, I think people will get really fed up with the way things are going um, at some point, uh, at least at some point within the next, before 2030, I think. Um, you could only deteriorate, deteriorate the quality of life in a nation that has had such a high quality of life for so long. Um, you could point to Venezuela as the counter example. Um, but Venezuela does not have the history of, does not have the cultural history of America. America's history is revol- is justified revolution, um, and its people largely have that as their as their ethos. Now, in case any feds are listening, that is not a call to revolution. That is just a thought experiment. Um, I think people will want um, a shift in political structure at some point. Um, I don't know what that would look like just talk to anyone on the street and they're very discontent whether it's whether they're a republican or a democrat they're unhappy um and polls show that more people than ever before but uh aside from the civil war wants some kind of seismic change in american political trajectory um what that looks like i don't know um i think we have the capacity for it to be an amenable and agreeable change. I think personally, I think I, I despise the national divorce discussion. Yeah, um, me too. So I don't think there's a way it can happen without incredible suffering and thousands of people dying and economic ruin and decades of despair. Um, so I don't want that to happen no matter the cost. Um, 
And I think we can get to a point to where we don't have to have a habit. Um, so I think there's reason to be optimistic in the sense that I think things will get to a point to where everyone has to come to the table. Um, mutually assured destruction has to be mutually assured. And it's only possible if people want to both be destroyed. So I'd like to think that both parties don't want to be destroyed. I'd like to think that we can get to a point to where a alternative option is possible. Um, culturally, uh, I'm not, I'd like to see, so I'm not the biggest gamer in the world. Um, but I do really enjoy, I think a lot of the stories that are being told through gaming are very interesting. Um, like I think the God of War stories are very, very cool. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to maybe not necessarily see them adapted because seldom do, except for like the last of us video games when they're adapted, don't really play out very well. Um, oh, I'd like to see some kind of, I, I, I don't want to say adaptation because I, I don't want to spend money to play these games. Um, but I'd, I'd like to see it adapted in some capacity for people who don't, uh, play games. Um, just because I think they're very, very fascinating stories, and I think they could really engage a lot of audiences. Um, I think the DC Cinematic Universe is going to fall on its face. I think we're going to get to a point where superhero content is... So, the the age of the Western, I think, last, if I recall correctly, lasted about uh, 20 years. Um superhero content is about to run out the clock, I think. Um, and I, I've seen some arguments online that Ant-Man could be like the, the nail in the coffin for the superhero race. Um, you know, that would require that Disney is willing to let this clock run out. Um, I don't think they really are willing to let that happen because of their investment in it. But I'm optimistic that people are yearning for different stories are yearning for better content and there's a market demand for it. So therefore the market will provide. Yeah. I, I think for the MCU, I don't know. They had a huge loss and drop for the, for Ant-Man. It did okay the first weekend and then had like a 70% plus reduction, which is huge for Gosh. the, for the second week. And I think people are tired of it. I think bar, unless barred for, unless they're, quality controls you know when would people respect these movies and they think they're quality maybe that could really spark interest but so far it feels like disney and other companies are kind of resting on their laurels and just assuming fan attention will be there and that that just isn't true i mean it just feels like you said this earlier it just feels like they they just aren't really trying anymore they just kind of expect people to show up and i don't think that's going to work I, that is kind of you. You said it was similar to the Western. The Western genre saw something pretty similar back then too. But the, by the end of that popularity, westerns had become for a while just very much paid by the numbers, very throwaway. And right. there might be hardcore people who are into westerns, but they don't really want that either. No one does. And I think it's kind of where we're at with superhero content. It's very especially with like ideological superhero content, it's very paint by number. It's here's a, you know, uh, an intersectional hero 
here is a generic plot paint by number. It's, I think people are fed up with it. Yeah, they'll be interesting then to see what might fill the void if we will go back to more book-based movies. Uh, there's some, I know that the WB wants to do another spin on Lord of the Rings. I don't know. Hogwarts Legacy did so well. Maybe the people Harry, maybe they want to try Harry Potter again. I, I don't know. Uh, even I though those fantastic. A, uh, I heard they're adapting the, um, the one play in Shonguri. Oh my gosh, please don't do that. That'd be bad. <laughs> That'd be a very bad. Oh my goodness gracious. Goodness. No, that, that's, that's a subject for another day. Oh, hot, the, oh my gosh. The, what is it called? The de- Is that the Deathly Child? Is that the name of the play? I, I'm not familiar. I'm not, I'm not the biggest Harry Potter fan in the world. Oh, I just know gosh. it. Uh, it's really most bad. Most people have that reaction. It's really bad. It's it's really, it's, 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 you know, I would recommend Samuel, if you were ever bored, to watch some people review that play because it is shocking how poor that that play is. I, I, I would not adapt that thing. If I was adapting it, I would get, I don't know what I would could do to possibly save it. Okay. All right. Well, I had hope all of a sudden, Samuel, then you crushed it. So no, my bad. <laughs> okay. So we're going to end it here. Um, thank you so much, Sam, for coming on. Talk about media. It is fascinating. Things are going. Samuel has some great writings. He was a staff editor at the Federalist. That's where you will find most of his work. Uh, where else can they find you, Samuel? Uh, Twitter, social media, writings, and otherwise. Uh, yeah. Just uh, follow me on Twitter at mangold underscore Lennitz, M-A-N-G-O-L-D underscore L-E-N-E-T-T. And uh, my writings at the Federalist. So yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It was a great time. No, we'll have to have you uh, again on the show. Maybe, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, maybe the next time the next big MCU feature comes in and flops. All right, guys. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Samuel, for coming on the show. Until next time, my friends, keep geeking out. <laughs>